have now. Now. What's up, everybody? It's Brian and Andre here with the Security Squawk Podcast. I'm getting feedback. Welcome to episode number 15. I'm Brian Horning. With me to my left or my right, depending on how you're looking at this, is Andre from Arc Solvers IT down in Miami. Andre's having a little bit of a technical difficulty right now, so we're going to let him work through that. No pressure. And uh, as soon as he comes live, we'll get going. I'm here, Brian. All right. Are we still getting the feedback? Uh, A little bit, but I'll try to muster through it. All right. Check your uh, echo setting as well because mine is good. All right. Good. Okay. I don't think I hear myself anymore, so we're good. Okay. All right. So welcome, everyone. Episode 15, right? 15 of Security Squawk, where we are the business podcast that talks about cybersecurity and how uh, the, the, the things in business that you have to deal with, uh, we give you the insight from, a, from an IT technology and cybersecurity perspective. So on this channel, you're probably going to learn a lot more about just how to think about things in terms of business. This is not really a tech podcast. We don't talk tech and, you know, we don't get in the nitty gritty of how to do things from a technical standpoint. Um, but really, this podcast is designed for business leaders, CEOs, CIOs, CISOs, IT managers, IT directors, anybody responsible for managing the people or resources within technology are going to want to listen to this podcast and, and hear the hear what we have to say and what we're seeing out in the industry uh, to, to get where everybody needs to be or where Andre and I would like companies to start being, which is having a better security posture than what's currently out there today. So uh, that's the main goal of our podcast, um, but we'll talk about other things as well, mindset things and stuff like that. Uh, but there is a fee for our podcast, and the fee is simple. If you like anything you hear, if you learn anything, if we give you a different perspective or we taught you anything or made you just think about anything differently than you did before listening, please share out our podcast, rate us five stars on your favorite platform. Make sure you turn on notifications when we put out new podcasts so you get notified. But simply just hit that share button, share it out to your social media, let people know that we exist, that we are providing good content and information, relevant information, and pretty much cutting edge information because we talk about stuff that's going on out there in the world right now like we're going to do today and dissect what happened over at cna insurance and the cyber attack that they have recently suffered um but before we jump into that let's check in andre how's it meeting you good good i had a great presentation yesterday um i was telling you about the client i sent the contract over to them standard contract and they redlined pretty much the whole thing And yeah, yeah. So um, I was a little hesitant, but um, the meeting actually went well. His concerns just needed more clarification. So I'm glad I I was open minded about it. And, and, you know, and um, looks like we're going to be moving forward. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, So what what's going what what brought on the red line in your opinion? I think it was the way I presented the contract because I sent the, the I sent a uh, word document of the of the actual contract, and I think that's what started the whole making comments because 
Another way I've seen other people do it is they essentially send the contract, but all they have to really do is hit that check mark. Mm -hmm. And from within the like within the website, so basically like a DocuSign, you click on it and then it just kind of steers the customer to just initial here, check mark here. So I, I think by sending it as a Word document, it made him want to read it more. And then since everybody knows about the red line feature, he just says, oh, let me just start making some comments. Ah, okay. So yeah. that's, it was more of a commenting. Clarification. Clarification, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, all right. Well, I'm glad it worked out. Sounds like uh, you scored yourself some new business, which is always exciting. Yep. Now, when you get a new client, what are some things that as a as as a business owner internally you start to do in terms of maybe you maybe you need to hire another resource because you're at capacity or maybe what are some things that you evaluate when you sign a new contract and bring on a new client like what what kind of things are you looking? So now you, what I'm asking you is you're going to get money for your services, right? You're going to have new revenue coming into the business. What, what do you generally look at that revenue? What do you do with that revenue in terms of your business? And maybe, you know, maybe you're pulling it right out of the business as a, as an owner, maybe you're, uh, you know, in, investing in training or investing in new employees. Um, is there something that you have this new revenue earmark for? Or is that yet to play itself out? It hasn't yet played itself out, but the biggest thing that we do or I like to do is just make sure resource wise, I'm not going to be like taxing my, my, my current staff. So I'll typically like to make sure any other projects they're working on, any other migrations they're working on, they're, they're, that's going to be in completion because I don't want to give them more work and then they haven't completed something else and now you're going to have the other client mad because the project is, is dragging. And then the new client, um, the first impression won't be how we would like it. So that's, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing. And after the project is done um, and, you know, we see the, how profited, profitable it was, um, then from there I can decide which way to divvy the money up. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Exciting. Well, I wish you luck with that. Keep us, keep us updated. Uh, now, did you say a contract's signed and done and you're moving on to fulfillment or? No. So the, the first okay. one rides was with the customer. And then now uh, I'm going to make a few changes. And then now they're going to send it to the attorney. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. Okay. And I'm sure he's going to want to make his minimum three hours. It's <laughs> funny. Uh, good luck with that. So Thank I'm you. Gonna say there. So let us know how you make out in the next podcast. So sure. we, definitely, we definitely need an update. See how I see how the lawyer treated you. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's jump into today. I'm gonna pop up the screen here in a second, but before we do, um, I want to talk. I just want to kind of preface what we're gonna talk about here. And what we're gonna cover is a cyber attack. Cyber attacks happen against companies all the time, and what we don't really necessarily ever do is take a look at how a particular cyber attack, and in this case, a ransomware attack, affects a company and what a company actually goes through uh, when they're attacked. So Andre and I today are going to take you through a pretty detailed look of what happened over at CNA Insurance. Um, so Let me share my screen here. Uh -uh, that's the wrong one. Uh, share screen. Oops, I got to uh, share my. Let me get rid of that first. Now we can go. All right. So. Andre, start us off here. Give us a, a little bit, everybody, a little bit of background about who got attacked here, what the company is. Obviously, I already kind of let the cat out of the bag that they're in the insurance space. Um, like, wh who got attacked? 
let's set the stage there. So the ironic thing is a, uh, a insurance company that provides cyber insurance to other companies. They're, they're the ones that got attacked. Right. So CNA Financial, um, there's our, I think I mentioned it on this podcast at this point. I talk about it all the time on my YouTube channel, which you can check us out over at Exact IT Solutions. But sophisticated cyber attack is is like, isn't that isn't every cyber attack sophisticated at this point? I don't know. What do you think? Um, some are easy. <laughs> well, no, I mean, from our standpoint, they're easy. You're right, right. When you read about them, doesn't it seem like every attack says it was a sophisticated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's it's to the point where I've mentioned it so many times of how much of a pet peeve it is for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I talked about it in my last YouTube video. I talked about it on the podcast last week, where every time you see it's sophisticated, and then when you dig in and find out how they really got in, it wasn't sophisticated at all. Yeah, you know. They called an employee and the employee let them remote into the computer. You know, they sent an employee an email and the employee clicked on the email. And like, really, that's the main way that these guys are getting in. I mean, you even take the SolarWinds hack all the way back to where it actually started. And it started from a knucklehead clicking on a link that he should mm -hmm. on. So... Uh, goes on to say that March 21st, so just less than a few weeks ago, um, but this is around the time we start getting the nitty gritty and, and the details and, and the right information about what happened, right? Um, about two to three weeks, a month or so after, depending on how responsible the company is and how forthcoming they want to be. So the cyber attack disrupted the company's employee and customer services for three days as the company shut down out of an abundance of caution to prevent further compromise. Now, it's three days. Um, we don't know what that means, right? So it could have been three days that their website was down and they got it back up, which is not a big deal. I would, I would have to say that three days in, they didn't get the whole entire network up. They got the areas of the business or the network that they knew were not compromised or weren't touched in the event those things came back up, like your website, right? You can get your website back up. Um, but I would, I would, I would be, I would be highly caught or suspicious if, if I were to hear they came back up completely in three days. My guess is they had to take some of the pieces of equipment that were compromised were, did have to come off that network, and they're probably still off today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's the reality. And that's like, we want people to understand when they read things like um, things had to be shut down out of an abundance of caution. That means somebody disconnected everything from the internet. Somebody came in and removed the plug for the internet, removed the device that connected all the computers to the internet. They took it out. So none of the computers could connect to the internet. So they could start to figure out what the heck was going on. So, uh, found it in 1967, uh, the Lowe's Corp subsidiary is among the top 10 cyber insurance firms and the leading 15 casualty and property insurers in the U.S. It employs about 5,800 workers and reported annual revenue of over $10 billion in 2020. So, not a small company, right? Yeah. And... Just because they offer cyber insurance doesn't mean they do good cyber practices, right? Yeah, very true. We see that all over in every industry, right? Especially ours. Um, and that's one of the kind of the the things that, you know, I don't know what you call it. It's an oxymoron almost, right? That the general population who doesn't understand our industry like you and I do, would probably think that most cyber insurance companies have good cyber insurance internally, right? But you and I know the truth, which is what? 
Yeah. And and even I would be, you know, one of um, the masterminds group that we were in, it right. talked about making sure that even you as a cybersecurity company, you're following everything that you preach and don't think because, oh, we know this industry, we know what's going on. And then all of a sudden we were now lax in, in our in our you know everyday functions. Right. But it's 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 one of those things where you look you, like these are the things when you're reading these articles that like we're trying to educate people on so they understand what the real threat landscape is out there. What it, the hell is going on with companies and, you know, everybody thinks that companies are taking care of cyber security or protecting the data that you're giving them or they're protecting your information or your, your bank account or your money. Um, and they, they, there's a certain level of implicit trust that you put into these companies, like an insurance mm -hmm. company and a cybersecurity company. Um, but we want to point out that just because they're in the business doesn't mean they necessarily do it the right way. Right. And Andre and I see it all the time where these freaking companies out here that do cyber insurance or do, do uh, cyber security and they call themselves cyber security companies don't even have their own houses in order. So how can, if they can't do it in their own company, how can you expect them to do it in their company, in your company? Um, or think about it, if you are one of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 clients that this company has, think about how stretched thin they might be in terms of bench strength and, and labor and, and people that actually have, that have the expertise to do this stuff. And you, you're going into every day thinking that your IT person or team has you covered you know, they got your back and they're, they're protecting you. But the reality is they're not protecting you at all. Mm -hmm. um, and we see this all the time. We go in and we do these assessments and people are, IT companies are not doing a good enough job with this stuff. And this is why hacks are happening left and right to companies. Yeah. I'm sure that CNA Insurance is going to find out that they were doing some things not so great after everything comes out. So they posted a statement on their website notifying the public that it sustained a sophisticated cybersecurity attack. The cyber attack caused a network disruption and impacted certain CNA systems, including corporate email. The cyber insurance firm added that it engaged a forensic expert and law enforcement in, in its investigation. So this is the first step, right, that we talk about when it comes to a cyber attack. If you have cyber insurance, this is the first team you're going to engage, right? Right. So in your opinion, are they following things the way that you need to see them go from your perspective? Yes. Yes, of course, because they're because uh, they're in a sense, they kind of call themselves. Right. I don't know if they self-insure. Oh, yeah. yeah. OK. <laughs> but yeah, they basically got third party company experts who do this every day. They're trained. They know what to look for. They know the process, and yeah, so they did the right thing. Yeah, so they got law enforcement involved. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, yeah, law enforcement can can get you maybe a little bit more information than you're able to get as a private citizen. Um, but chances are they're going to find this was overseas, and that law enforcement investigation is not yeah. going to go very far, right? So it's great that you contact law enforcement. They're doing all the right things at this point. Um, but, you know, depending on the law enforcement agency involved, their jurisdiction only goes so far. So if the FBI doesn't want to get involved, chances are, you know, it's going to be your state police or your state attorney general, and they can only operate within the confines of the state. Um, and, you know, it becomes, you know, tougher unless the person is actually here in the U.S., um, which we've seen, you know, I think it's the Shopify hack that I saw the other day, a guy in California got arrested. Hmm. Um, so cyber insurance firm worried about policyholders data leak after the cyber attack. 
So it's going on to say that CNA Financial did not notify potential victims because it could not determine if the attacker stole any data. So what do you think here? So we're, we're, we're at this stage of the investigation, right? They still haven't figured out if anybody stole any data. And three, four weeks in, usually you have an idea. Mm -hmm. If you have the proper logging and reporting and you're able to go back to this stuff and look at it, if it wasn't in place, you don't have it. You have right. no idea. You have no idea, so you only have to assume that it was stolen, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And even, you know, there's sometimes I've he heard that where they actually now start searching the dark web for the information to see if it's out there. But, I mean, there's so many avenues out, you know, to to sell it. So it's it's kind of like you said, you just have to assume it's out there now. And then it goes on to say, further, the firm mitigated efforts to alleviate the disruption caused by the cyber attack to me, that means they just, you know, they probably saw it going from one computer to another, and they just were able to disconnect certain computers before it spread to other computers. Um, but typically, the guys that get in here and do this stuff, they know what to attack first. And anything else that they can get outside of those, those ripple effects that they get when they when if they can get it to go to other computers on the network, right, is is gravy to them. You know, because it just, it's not going to change the fact that they're asking for X amount of dollars. They already have the data encrypted, you know, at where they need to encrypt it. You know, just putting it on more, more computers is just more of a, a shock effect, Yeah. you know, than anything. So we've notified employees and provided workarounds where possible to ensure that they can continue operating and serving the needs of our insureds and policyholders to the best of their ability. So that sounds terrible. Um, as an employee, you don't want to walk into your day where you, and it really depends on your company too, um, but if you're at a company where you have a significant number of employees, like 6,000, you probably have people trained to do very specialized tasks as part of your service delivery, right? So in smaller companies, you might train somebody to do five or six different functions or more, whatever, depending on what their role is. But when you get bigger, you typically have people trained to do a specific task. And then once they're done, it moves to the next person to then move the product or service down the line, right? And that's right. typically how you see most companies built out. Smaller companies usually have multiple people doing multiple tasks or one person doing multiple tasks. And, you know, they may, they may not pass it off until, you know, it goes to from sales to operations or from, you know, operations to whatever else, you know what I mean? Post sale or whatever. Um, so coming in as an employee when you're dealing with this stuff and being told you have to write work on paper right. go to paper file because that's usually where this ends up at least until the first for the first couple of weeks until this, you can actually use systems uh this is why we recommend uh in our youtube videos that we say like have a list of stuff that you're on the ready to buy like you know what you're ready to go buy um so when this does happen you're not waiting for two weeks and then buying what you need just pre-plan have that list ready to go so you just go to the list and start buying everything you need yeah on and every shopping site that i'm aware of makes it very easy to build a list you know and get yourself some technology on that list that you know you're going to need in order to you know recover and get stood up as quickly as possible. So um, that's like one perspective is the employees like, oh, my God, like I got to come in and I got to do something different than how I was trained. That is going to absolutely put a massive bottleneck on your productivity. Mm -hmm. so now you've already lost technology and now the human who's responsible for making sure that that's getting done has to do a job a way that they probably weren't trained to do unless you've gone through some sort of fire drill around this ahead of time, right? Because everybody's trained to use the computer. 
But what happens when the computer is not available? Are you are they trained to deal do their job and, and move things along without the computer being there, right? So that's how I look at this. Um, what is your perspective when it comes to when we're talking about workarounds and 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 maybe from the company perspective or maybe from the the operations or network operations perspective? Like when you're saying providing workarounds where possible to ensure they can continue operating and serving the needs of their clients, what, what's your perspective on that? No, I, I would I would give it an analogy as like back in school when you would have like a tornado day or hurricane drill, a fire drill. I think that's something like once a year that it, everybody sits in the conference room, the, the supervisors and like, okay, if we had no power, or if we, you know, if our computers got ransomware, how does this position and how does this, um, you know, how does this department work? Or is it just be realistic? Just send them home until IT figures it out or until the power comes back on. Um, uh, Brian, there was another uh, more updated article that said that it had encrypted 15,000 company devices. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because... So 6,000 employees, 15,000 devices. And roughly we know in our business, it's about two and a half devices per person, mm -hmm. right? Not quite three. I don't know where the two and a half comes from. But right. People get three devices. Some people get two. Some people get one. Uh, um, so they pretty much got everything, right? When you're 6,000 people and you have 15,000 devices. Right. I don't know how much they were able to mitigate, you know, as it was happening. Um, so this guy, Josh Mata, said that nightmare scenario would be if attackers stole policy data. And he noted that accessing the data could help hackers determine which companies had applied for or acquired cyber insurance, the scope of coverage, and the limits of deductibles. Now, wow, holy fucking shit, my mind's blown. Like, sorry, but... Jesus Christ, if you're a hacker and you know the companies that have cyber insurance, what is wh like what does that mean to you? As if you're a hacker and you know you have a list of companies, here's every company that has cyber insurance. What could you do with that? I mean, they probably they so they got the policy, which means that they know the name of the company, they know the email address, the owner's information. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start spoofing emails. I'm going to start, hey, we're we're CNA insurance and we need to update the records. Click on this link. Go on this website. I'm going after them hard. Yeah, I mean, but you, you also know that you have, you know, the deductible. Mm -hmm. You know how much this company is going to get paid on the policy if they are hit with ransomware. Yep. So all you need to do is get access and you know exactly how much money you're going to get because the insurance company is going to pay you. And the company that bought the, the insurance policy isn't going to bat an eye because they have cyber insurance. Yep. You know I mean? So they're going to file the claim. They're not going to think twice. But here's the other side of this, what we talk about all the time. If you're not doing everything that you're supposed to be doing per your insurance policy, your claim is not going to get paid. Right? right. So how how good do you think CNA and other companies that still offer in cyber insurance, how good do you think they're going to get at figuring out little, you know, little fine print and snafus within the policy that they're going to be able to you know, use to not pay all these policies. Yeah, nobody, when your insurance company uh, sends you the policy, nobody redlines the agreement, you know, they just sign it, right? You just sign it and you pay it. Right. And it'll make, it'll make, is it, the article goes on to say, it's just going to make ransomware people way more efficient because now you don't come in and you don't ask for $2 million if you know they only have a $50,000 $50, coverage. Mm -hmm. You come in and you go, $75,000. Oh, no, we can't do that. We can only do $50,000. Okay, $50,000. Perfect. Right? And then maybe as you're 
unencrypting the files like we see, and then halfway through they hit the pause button and go, ah, eh, you know what? Give us another ten. Yeah. Right? Because we know how much money you make. Because I know what I had to submit when I when I got my cyber insurance. So I know what information my cyber insurance company is storing for my company. And, and if a hacker had that, that would, probably wouldn't be good if I ever, if we ever got ransomware. Yeah. You know, that's massive leverage. That's that's like, you know, to me, that's like in a poker game, knowing the guy across from you, knowing exactly every single card he has. Yeah. Yep. It makes it negotiating that much harder. Um, and yeah, it's crazy. So. So then it goes on to say, thus informing any compromised parties would help them understand the negotiating position of a ransomware cyber attack compromise or network. Exactly what I just said. Uh, if the hackers stole any data, they could use that information to target policyholders for their ability to pay because cyber insurance backing. Again, you know, exactly. You couldn't even say like, hey, I can't pay because I don't have that money. No, we know you have cyber insurance with CNA insurance. There goes that. Um, additionally, accessing their information can help attackers crash convincing phishing email messages, thus increasing probability of success. Exactly. I mean, you know, in our business, we're being required to tell these cyber insurance firms who our clients are. Right? Mm -hmm. So if, if we get hacked or if our insurance firm gets hacked, they know everybody we're working with for the most part. Like that kind of information needs, you know, cannot get out there. Like, would you, you don't want, you didn't even want me seeing your client list. I know yeah. you're a hacker, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, so client lists for private companies, rightfully so, are private. I, I don't care as much. It doesn't, you know, I, I would prefer to tell people who we work with, um, but some of our clients don't want people knowing that we're their cybersecurity company, which is perfectly fine with me. But you know, other MSPs like you would much rather not disclose who they're working with, and they like it that way, which is perfectly fine. So uh, on April 1, just a mere week ago, CNA restored its mail functionality protected by 2FA and a threat-blocking security platform. So what does that mean? So that means that their emails were down during that time and now, um, and essentially they were able to restore it. So the question is, was, does that mean that there was their email? Maybe there was, they had a local email server. Who knows about that? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I, I, I would assume that since they're pointing out, protected by two-factor and threat-blocking security platform. They didn't have either prior to this. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're laughing, right? That's crazy. But, Andre, there's going to be 95% of the people who are listening to this or who will listen to this, and when you download this three years from now in 2024, you're not going to have this shit in place anyway. Because you don't, people don't take this stuff seriously enough. It's going to be another three to five years before people start really taking this stuff seriously, where things like two-factor authentication and threat-blocking security platforms are a necessity. And they're not something that is like, oh, we need to put this in place now because we got hacked. Mm -hmm. No, don't get hacked in the fucking first place. Put this shit in place now. But... You know, you and I live in this world where we take care of this stuff and, and we're aware of it. And we know it's out there. We know it's been out there for a long time and not having this in place seems ridiculous. But we're we're the one, two percent of the population that knows about this stuff and believes it and knows it needs to be in place. The 96 percent of the world doesn't know what the hell we're even talking about right now. Two factor. What is that? that that's annoying thing that sends a text message to my phone. No, it's not. Um, if you're having tech messages sent to your phone, you're doing two-factor from like a decade ago. And that's it doesn't work, and it's not really that good. So stop doing it. Um, so it goes on to say it also published a forensic investigation report findings. CNA disclosed that the ransomware used during the cyber attack 
could not automatically propagate through internal and external systems. Interesting. Uh, interesting on the language there, right? Mm -hmm. Could not automatically propagate through internal and external systems. It didn't say it couldn't automatically propagate through internal systems. Right. It said it couldn't propagate through internal and external, which that should how it should be. Your right. external system should not be able to talk to your internal systems at all or very easily without massive amounts of checks to see if it's legitimate traffic or person accessing system through said system. Um, so I don't know. I'm not going to talk about that too much. That's that's kind of like we, you know, we'll put this in here so we don't look really bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, responding to the cyber attack on CNA Financial. I'm not going to even try that name. Founder and chief architect at ImmuniWeb downplays the risk posed by leaked policyholder data. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Um, I might, let's see what he has to say. I think today it's premature to talk about a major spike in attacks targeting insurance firms with the purpose to steal a list of customers who have cybersecurity insurance. It may appear intuitive to attack victims who have cyber insurance. However, it does not necessarily require hacking into insurance firms. Says the guy that just got hacked. <laughs> well, he didn't get hacked. He owns a company. Well, CNA. CNA Financial. Yeah, he's saying responding to the attack on it. It was somebody who was was giving his opinion. Mm. He's the chief architect at ImmuniWeb, which I'm going to assume. oh yes yes i see yeah you're right, right. here they are real quick are they a cyber security company they're an application security company okay so, ai for application security okay so you know number one they're a software company i they don't do what andre and i do at the level that we do it um application security is a very specialized area um, and I don't know how much Kolochenko knows about how this stuff works and knows the history of how these ransomware groups have operated. This falls absolutely 100% in line with how they would further attacks. Like, who can we attack so we can further attacks? Just like they did with SolarWinds, right? Mm -hmm. SolarWinds, they didn't attack SolarWinds and exploit SolarWinds. They attacked all the SolarWinds customers. Yeah, it might be premature, but it's going to be information that is used just like we are seeing now as it's being reported that hackers from the Klopp ransomware group and Revel are now starting to go after the victims of the data that's stolen. Right. So they're now contacting the victims of the data that was stolen saying, hey, we have this information on you and we're going to release it if you don't pay us. Right. It's not going to be any different. So I, I don't know if he's I'm not trying to be sensationalizing. I feel like he might try to is trying to be a little bit um, by pointing out some maybe contrasting what they're saying in the article. But the reality of it is, is that these guys are going to use this customer information to further an attack. And you can go back to this podcast as proof that I'm going to be right, that they're going to use this information to do other cyber attacks or go after customers of CNA insurance. Yeah. He noted that many companies readily disclose having cyber insurance to boost customer and investor confidence. I don't know anybody doing that. Do you? Nope. Actively going out and, and publicly disclosing they have cyber insurance? They may do it in a proposal, mm -hmm. usually under an NDA or private. But I don't go to anybody's website and see like, hey, we have cyber insurance. Right. Moreover, cyber criminals will likely go through lengthy cyber insurance contracts to ferret out which specific incidents are covered. They all say the same thing. It takes like two seconds. And then you're going to tell me that they're not going to take 10 minutes to read a simple document 
do you understand the amount of effort, time, and patience it takes to be a cyber criminal and hack companies? And the payout is like nothing to that. Yeah. Like the amount of patience and the amount of trial and error and knocking on the door and not getting in and then finally getting in and being successful, it, it could be months, it could be years. And you're going to basically call out cyber criminals and say they're lazy. They will likely not go through a lengthy cybersecurity insurance contract. Right. Just like they wouldn't teach themselves a lengthy programming language. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm done. So he believes that cyber criminals prefer to spend the least time and effort by targeting low hanging fruits for a quick payout. Boy, is that even further from the truth. Um, more sophisticated cyber gangs do carefully select their victims in ransomware campaigns, but it's unlikely whether a cyber insurance cover for a victim will play a major role in this process. It absolutely will. Yes, it's unclear, but guess what? I'm going to bet, you know, let's see if Chris Clemens has a different perspective. Yeah. Oh, look, he's, he's in my camp. I expect to see service providers increasingly targeted by cyber criminals. After all, why spend time trying to compromise hundreds of different companies individually when you can compromise them all at once by targeting their IT provider? As you and I talk about all the freaking time, right? Yeah. So we know we're targets. We know that we need to dot our I's and cross our T's and make sure that we have three people making sure that we cross our T's and dot our I's. It's no joke. And you know, real IT companies take it seriously and they do the right shit. A lot of them don't, but the few that do, they do a really good job. And there's gonna be bad IT companies and you're listening to me right now. And, there's going to be bad IT companies out there that you work are working with right now. They're going to be hacked and your company's going to get hacked as a result. And that's just the God's honest truth. You're going to get hacked because your IT company got hacked. Mm -hmm. It's just the beginning. We're not at the end and all the IT companies in the world that were ever going to get hacked got hacked. We're at the very, very beginning. And more and more companies and the smaller and, and more the ones that are poorly run are going to be the ones that get hit all the time, multiple times, over and over. You know, there'll be companies that stay with their their IT company after a hack. That's how crazy this is going to get. Um, if an attacker can extract a list of clients who have cyber attack insurance, those clients in turn become inviting targets themselves since they have insurance. They're seen as more likely to pay off a ransom, which is a win-win situation for the attacker and a lose-lose for everyone else. Um, you know, cyber, cyber security should extend beyond taking a cyber insurance coverage policy, right? It should also extend beyond email phishing, fake email phishing schemes and attempts that you're doing on yourselves and your company. I was talking to somebody today who was like, oh yeah, we do penetration testing. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that. And he was like, yeah, they try to fake fish us all the time. And they send us these ridiculous emails that nobody would ever click on because they look so bad. And they and like literally, this person thought that this was their cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that's just a tiny little piece of what you should be doing and what needs to be done. So, um, the article goes on to say they need to implement best practices and take cybersecurity seriously. It needs to be ingrained in process, policy, and company culture. I love this guy. This this is my guy. Right. And that needs to be backed up with best inbreed security solutions, such as security analytics that can blunt an attack when malicious actors get past the perimeter. I like this. I like his comments better. Than yeah, me. much better, man. I'm on board with Mr. Clements here. Clements added that companies cannot solely rely on cybersecurity products. Absolutely. You can't rely on one. You can't rely on your fake fish campaign that you're doing through probably What's the popular one everybody loves to use? No before. Probably no before. Um, noting that no organization is safe from cyber criminals, he advises them to adopt a culture of security from a the top leadership down to operations. Can I just drop the mic and end the podcast right here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where does cybersecurity need to start? Where does it say? 
right here from Mr. Clements, who's our who's who's I'm a big fan of right now. You got to start with the employee. Stop in the top. Yep. So the leader, the leaders of 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 the companies need to be the ones who build the culture of cybersecurity in the company, and it needs to go down from the top and it needs to be something that everybody understands everybody knows what to look for everybody knows everything that they need to know for the role that they play in your company higher level people are going to need to know more than lower level people certain people are only going to need to know things specific to their role or their job where other people are going to need to know bigger things like what laws you need to follow what regulations you need to follow and things like that but it all starts with everybody being a team player in the whole company when it comes to cybersecurity. You can't have some of the company or just the leadership or just the IT people leading or doing the cybersecurity. If you're not getting security awareness training, if you're not having meetings and talking about things that may have happened in the day when you got a certain email from a certain vendor or client that looks suspicious and talking about it and making sure people are aware of it, you're not doing the right thing and you're going to get caught one day and an employee is going to click on an email and cause a problem in your company. As our friend, Mr. Clements continues to point out, he also points out that almost all organizations recently breached had various security products. So it's not just about buying products and sticking them in to a company and putting them on, putting them on computers. Anti-malware, yeah, you need it. It's not the only thing you should do. It really is something that you have to build into your culture. And I'm really glad that this guy pointed this out in this article because that's what you and I try to work on with companies, and that's the best advice you can get. Um, kind of putting the head in the sand and approach like the first guy did in this article, I don't necessarily agree with. We got to call a spade a spade and we got to tell companies that they're not doing this stuff the right way or companies aren't going to do this better. They're just going to think I can hire an IT person. I, I can hire an IT director. I'm going to delegate it to them. It'll be their problem. That's what I'm saying. What do you say? No, you, you said it pretty well. You know, it's funny. I have a, a friend of mine, and he manages a uh, about 1,100 um, employee company, and and it's actually an MSP. And one of their, we kind of helped them co-manage the site. And one of the employees' emails got compromised. And when I went to him and I said, "Hey, why is it that you know you don't have at minimum two FF on two uh, two form factor on this uh, lower level employee's email?" And his response was that corporate, they didn't want to pay extra for the licenses and corporate also didn't want to pay the extra fee that it would cause to do like the, the setups. Mm -hmm. And for me in my mind, I'm like, well, okay, great. You have the executive, okay, you have the executives protected, but the lower level employees, you know, the secretaries or the, the first, you know, level, if they get if they get ransomware, I mean, doesn't that then spread up like like it's kind of like you're you're blinding your eyes. So so like you like you just said, Brian, it, it starts from the top. And, and I think um, hopefully people are, are going to take this way more seriously. And, and honestly, this this article almost set, seemed like a joke at the beginning because it was like cybersecurity insurance firm gets hacked. Then you had this guy downplay the whole thing. You know, oh, yeah, nobody will ever go after them. So, sorry about that, Andre. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so um, I'm glad we're talking about it, and um, because um, it's it's just only going to get worse, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get being cautiously optimistic that they won't use this information, but the greed that we're seeing with these hackers is just is they don't care like they don't care they're in they, and they're probably aware that this is not going to last forever and they're going to try to make as much money as they can you know while the iron's hot yeah and but there's no 
there's no path to where we can see an end to this, right? There, there's no light at the end of the tunnel where we can say in seven years, cybersecurity will be a thing in the past. Like we're not going to have to worry about hackers. Um, I, you know, I tend to believe that in this lifetime, we're not going to see an end of this. This is something that we're going to have to, just like you have to protect your home, just like you have to protect, you know, your vehicle, you lock your doors when you go into the store, you're going to have to learn how to lock your doors and protect your, your, your devices and your technology from criminals. Um, and that's what people are going to have to learn. I, there was a point in time where people used to drive without seatbelts and they drive without seatbelt. They drive with seatbelts all the time. Right. You know, I would say in the eighties, it was way more common to drive with driving a car without a seatbelt on than it is today. Right. And mm -hmm. we're going to be looking at this in, in 20 years going, you know, people used to walk around with cell phones without VPNs or without security protection and have computers. And they never used to think about this stuff. But why do wait, why do people wear seatbelts today at the rate that they wear them versus 1980? Why, you know, do, do you right. know? It's, it's the law. It's, it's proven to work. Right. Like yeah. <clears throat> we did studies. We've learned over time that doing this one thing, if you are in a major accident, you're less likely to die or suffer a major injury if you wear a seatbelt, right? And that's been conditioned into society to where most people, when they get into a car, buckle up, right? And we're in a stage with technology where people are just driving around with their cars, driving around with their cars, right? Yep. <laughs> Using the keyboard and mouse without a seatbelt on. And eventually people will learn and they'll be conditioned to make sure that this seatbelt is put on before they start the engine of the car. Yeah. And that's how this is going to go down. So hopefully uh, people will be listening to this podcast for a long time and go, man, that guy was spot on. Yeah. So, that's where this stuff is going. It's kind of like right now we're, you're that homeowner with the shotgun and you got to protect your own house because the police, the police ain't doing it. The government's not doing it. And you got to protect your own house. Well, that's how you guys think in Florida. We don't think like that in Jersey. Ah, okay. We can't bring our guns out of our house ah, okay. without getting arrested. <laughs> so, all right, everyone. Thank you uh, for listening. Please remember to download us on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, remember, the only fee that we charge for this information is that you share out our podcasts on your social media platforms that you belong to. Uh, hit us up in the comment section on our YouTube channel and Facebook, and we're going to be coming at you with another uh, a, uh, podcast recording next week. Uh, you get a bonus this week with two because we couldn't get one out last week due to some technical difficulties. So, and, uh, and Andre decided to go to Orlando to party. So, so, all right, I'm going to wrap it up. Any final parting shots for our audience before we roll? No, we're good. Thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. All right.